This is the State of Things broadcasting from the American Tobacco Historic District. I'm Anita Rao. Coronavirus case numbers and deaths are increasing at an alarming rate in North Carolina. The state reported just over 7,500 new cases just today, and this is the first time we have broken the 7,000 threshold. This trend of increasing cases is no different inside the state prison system. Four prisoners at four different institutions died of COVID-19 in the span of five days earlier this month. And at least three other state prisons are experiencing large outbreaks. Ames Alexander is an investigative reporter for the Charlotte Observer, and he has been reporting on COVID-19 trends inside North Carolina's prisons. Hey, Ames, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you. Thanks again for having me. So you have been carefully following COVID case numbers, outbreaks, and deaths within the state's prison system. And we mentioned earlier four deaths over the span of five days, which is alarming. What can we learn um, by looking at the experiences of these four inmates who died? Well, I, I think it's just another sign that this is a, you know, a particularly dangerous time inside the prisons. Um as you mentioned, uh, the death toll has doubled in just the span of uh, 10 weeks. Um, 28 inmates inside the state prisons um, have now died of uh, COVID-19. And five staff members have also died. Um, there, uh, I checked this morning, and there were more than uh, 6,300 inmates who've uh, tested positive to date. And that's more than one of every six people incarcerated. So it's, it's, uh, and then you've got, you know, more than 1,800 uh, state prison employees who've also tested positive. So it's clearly no longer an isolated thing. Um, and, you know, there have been outbreaks in most of the, there are 60 state prisons, uh, roughly 60, and there have been outbreaks in most of them by now. And, yeah. Uh, some some much larger than others. Um, there, there's a uh, one prison, uh, Tabor Correctional, where more than 560 of the roughly 1,400 inmates have uh, contracted the virus. Help us understand um, how cases compare inside and outside the prison system. We are obviously talked about today being a record high number of new cases in the state of North Carolina, but how do you compare the numbers inside versus outside? Well, if you look at the death rate, um, it's very roughly inside the prisons. There's very roughly one death for every 1,000 inmates. Um, and so that is a higher uh, death rate than in the uh, broader North Carolina population. Uh, the one of every six people who've tested positive um, that's also must, much higher than the, uh, the population as a whole in North Carolina. But that number, that comparison can be a little misleading simply because every inmate in the state prisons has been tested by now. And that's, of course, not true for the, the broader population. Okay. So there's been a lot of focus on looking specifically at what's happening inside state prisons throughout the pandemic, but especially in light of uh, a lawsuit and a hearing earlier this year. And one of the primary um, things that they are really focusing on is reducing prison-to-prison transfers to curb the spread between prisons to prevent someone who is infected from taking COVID from one institution to the other. Last month, there were three facilities that were closed, and they, there was a transfer of hundreds of prisoners to other locations. So tell us about why officials made this decision to transfer prisoners when um, we know what the risks of that transfer can be. 
Yeah, I mean, they the the prison officials uh, said they were taking that step because of the increase in COVID nineteen cases among inmates and staff. And you know, part of the problem was these facilities uh, had lots of staff members who were out uh, of work because of COVID nineteen, and it became really hard to staff them. So I think that's a big part of what uh, drove this move, but. Uh, the group, the civil rights groups that um, have brought this lawsuit that you mentioned, I mean, he, they've argued that this was a dangerous move because you, you're you now packing more inmates into uh, the prisons that aren't closed. And by transferring so many inmates, you, you raise the risk that you may be importing the virus from one prison to another. So um, they're they're not happy about that. Yeah, I mean, they're also are, are, are kind of arguing that the state is not doing a good enough job, and they really pressured um, Wake County Superior Court judge, who's overseeing this lawsuit, to appoint a special master, which was done. Um, that was done last week to appoint a special master to lead the response to kind of provide some oversight to uh, what's going on in the prison system. So tell us about the appointment of the special master and what their responsibility is going to be in managing COVID within the state's prisons. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Judge Rozier, he appointed uh, a Duke University administrator, a guy by the name of Thomas Marr, uh, to kind of oversee the prison's response. Um, And... uh, so uh, Thomas Marr, he, he's an experienced trial lawyer. He used to head the state's Indigent Defense Services Agency, and he now heads uh, Duke University's Wilson Center for Science and Justice. And that group does a lot of research with an eye toward kind of improving criminal justice outcomes. And so he's been asked to consult with the state and with civil rights groups to ensure that the prisons are complying with the judge's orders. Um, We don't yet know how he's going to do that. We don't know if he's going to be going inside prisons. We don't know if he's going to have unfettered access to all of uh, the uh, state prison uh, records and data, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. One of the the demands that came out of what the judge's order was earlier this year was an increase on testing. Um, How has that changed? How has the amount of testing being done within the system evolved over the course of the pandemic? So, um, yeah, back in June, Judge Rozier basically ordered the state to come up with a plan uh, to uh, test every inmate. And uh, the state did do that. And then um, in early November, the state began testing uh, 5% of employees at every prison. And the Department uh, of of Public Safety says it recently enhanced staff testing at prisons where there are outbreaks. Um, But uh, Judge Rozier has essentially ordered that the prisons go further and that all prison staff who have contact with offenders in every prison must be tested every two weeks. So that would be, that would significantly ramp up the amount of staff testing that's happening. What do we know about vaccine rollout? We're obviously in this time right now where we're cases are really high and, and folks are really concerned about an increasing surge, but also this potential um, light at the end of the tunnel, the vaccine coming. And North Carolina has begun to announce what the rollout plan would look like. Where do prisons fit into the vaccine rollout part of part of the equation? Right, right. 
So under the state's distribution plan, uh, the first the first round of vaccines supposed to go to doctors, nurses, first responders. Uh, in the second round, uh, all people in long-term care facilities will get immunized. And during that round, uh, <clears throat> inmates over the age of 65 will also get the vaccine. And all prison staff will um, have the option of getting vaccine during that round. Um, so that'll be voluntary for staff. Um, and then in the third round of distribution, inmates under the age of 65 are scheduled to receive the vaccine. Has there been any response um, to folks concerned about the way that the vaccine rollout is planned, or, or what are you hearing about that? I'm not hearing a whole lot about that yet. Um, I know there there have been some questions about whether inmates or staff will get, you know, top priority. Um, you know, so so that will be, I think, a topic of some debate because, you know, during that second round, inmates over the age of 65 will get the vaccine, but all prison staff will have the option of getting the vaccine. So I, I have heard some questions about, you know, whether they're whether that's fair. One last thing I'd love to ask you about is the attempt to reduce the state's prison population. Um, there was there has been repeated talk about that over the course of the pandemic. Where are we with that now? Who is being released and, and how is that effort going? Um, you know, I, I the state says that they have basically uh, changed the eligibility requirements for early release, uh, broadened them so that more people are being released early, um, you know, to home confinement uh, where, you know, they're essentially serving out the rest of their sentences at home. Um, but uh, the ACLU and the other civil rights groups continue to say, hey, the, you know, the, the numbers that are being um, released under these programs are pretty small, and they're really pushing to uh, uh, greatly uh, increase the numbers who are being released early. Because what they say is, you know, it doesn't really matter what you're doing inside the prisons if you don't have enough social distance. Mm. And they they argue that if you don't release a lot more people, you're just it's just impossible to have that kind of social distance in a prison. And impossible to manage the outbreaks. My guest is Ames Alexander, investigative reporter for the Charlotte Observer. Ames, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me again. You can find links to his reporting on the state prison system and more at our website, stateofthings.org. You're listening to The State of Things from North Carolina Public Radio, a broadcast service of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill.